1: I'm Jason Comstock, and welcome to We Happy Few, the podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories.
2: I'm Marcy Hanley. I am originally from Pennsylvania. I grew up in Lancaster County, uh, which is home of the Amish. Um, and when I was 16 years old, um, my mother passed away, and it was unexpected. So. Um, I say that to say that is my story. My, my mom's name was Brenda Hainley, um, she had epilepsy ever since I was a child, so I don't remember her not having epilepsy. Um, so I had a parent with a disability, but I never realized she had a disability, if that makes any sense, um, because she was just my mom and um, she had a brain tumor and back then they didn't really have a whole lot of uh, cures for it. So she would, do, uh, she would do chemo, and she would do radiation. So Sometimes she'd be bald, sometimes she wouldn't. But I thought that was normal, and that sounds really odd, but I thought that was normal. And um, she was out horseback riding, and she ended up having a brain aneurysm. And so they called me at school, and they told me that I needed to go to the hospital. So she passed away within 24 hours. Sometimes when I go back home, everyone's like, oh, are you Brenda's daughter? And I'm like, how do you even know that? And they're like, you look like her. I was like, oh, okay, that's great. I I think I have her sense of humor, except I cuss a lot. And she never would do that. You got soap in your mouth or you got, you know, the pie shovel if you cussed. And definitely what I got out of her is she could walk in a room and know everybody by the time she left. And I am exactly that way. So like, I'll know everybody before I leave. So i say that. That's the biggest one.
1: So do you have a relationship with your father today?
2: Yeah, I do. I do. We're actually pretty close. Um, and it took me 10 years to talk to him. So um, I had joined the Army, got out of the Army, became a police officer, um, I'd been married, got divorced. He never met my husband. Um, he missed out a lot in 10 years, but we're both pretty hard-headed. So um, I wrote him a letter and was like, hey, I'd like to talk to you. And so it worked out. So, yeah, I just spent the summer uh, back in Pennsylvania, and we had some time together. Maybe 2002, 2003, 2003-ish, something like that. I just, I think it's at the point in my life where I was growing up, making some positive changes and just growing as a person, started going back to church. My faith was restored. It took me five years to get over the fact that uh, my mom had passed away to even get through that whole grieving process they talk about. So once I got through that, then it was like, then I just kind of started feel like I started my life. Then I I don't know. I just did.
1: So how did he respond?
2: He wrote me back, and then, because I asked him to write me back to give him permission to call. Yeah, we spoke on the phone, and I had said some really unkind words to his now wife, and so I asked him to put her on the phone, and I apologized to her, and I said, you know, I'd been through a lot, and, you know, it was too soon, and, you know, I was young, and so she, she said she accepted my apology. He didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, I kind of can describe him as like a steel mill worker kind of guy that doesn't show emotions, right? And so he he probably had a lot of emotions, but we never talked about them. We never shared them. We didn't communicate that way. And so we were just butting heads, and then he started dating somebody, and I could not deal with that. That was That was really like a no-go for me. At that point, because I thought it was too soon.
1: What do you think your mother would have thought about you joining the Army?
2: I think she would have been supportive. She was a God-fearing Christian, so I definitely get that from her also, which is a, what people don't really know about me, because um, I don't come off that way, I guess. But she would she would totally be proud of where I'm at today. I think she, she would have. But I don't know that I'd be here because I would have stayed with her. After she passed away pretty much was abandoned as a child. Um, My father disowned me, and I was the only child left in the house. And one thing that my mom always wanted was one of her children to go to college. So um, I received a few scholarships, although I was a C student at best in high school. And I went off to college and did not do so well because I was still dealing with my childhood trauma of losing her and the other... Uh, abandonment issue. And so I literally went broke trying to succeed through college. And I had $5 to my name, a car that didn't work and no place to live. And so I took myself down to the United States Army Recruitment Office, uh, where I met a staff sergeant who told me about different jobs in the military. And um, from that point on, the rest is history. I ended up joining the Army in 1993. Um, I was 20 years old and then I shipped out right after I turned 21. So um, I went to Fort McClellan, Alabama, which is now closed, Um, but I went into the Military Police Corps. When I tried to get the job uh, of an MP, they told me it wasn't available and I basically said, it is available and that's the only job I want. So uh, they found me a position ironically. And so from 1993 to 1998, I served five years active duty uh, in the United States Army. And so I went from a private to a sergeant. My first duty station after basic training in AIT was Camp Humphreys, Korea, where I was assigned to a military intelligence battalion, um, working with top secret information. And it was not very exciting, but it was more of a security guard position. And when I left there, I went to Fort Benning, Georgia, home of the infantry, and I was assigned to the United States Army Infantry Center Military Police uh, Unit. Um, So basically, I went to a community policing unit, and then from there I went to a traffic accident uh, reconstruction unit, and then I went to a deployable unit after that.
1: So were you trained to do security and law enforcement?
2: It was just an assignment that was given to me. It wasn't my selected choice, but they have um, they have units assigned to different MI battalions throughout the U.S. that are basically guarding top-secret information, um, and you have to have special access to even get in. I'm pretty assertive, and I'm very hardworking, so I don't know that I ever looked at it as, oh, I'm a female, and I should have special treatment because I think... I just am not that kind of person um I earn my uh respect from people by working hard, so definitely I was welcome in the environment. I always worked with males and females um it wasn't all. it wasn't really an odd number. probably the only unit that I worked in that had a different male female ratio was like my deployable unit um but we still had we still had like ten females to like about twenty five males. So they treated us all the same.
1: Was there ever a time when you felt like you were treated differently?
2: Not not that I can remember, you know. So um, they would do deployments to like Kuwait and um, different foreign countries to provide like POW, MIA type camps. I was only in that unit for just a few months. And then I actually had an early... We, they were set to go on deployment. And then I was transitioning out of the military and I got a job as a police officer. And so the company commander was like, well, if you get a letter saying that you have the job, then we'll release you early so that, you know, you don't have to reenlist. Because essentially I would have been on deployment in, within that reenlistment. And so the commander let me get out and transition and not go on that deployment.
1: So as a as a police officer, as you watch the news and we had things like Abu Ghraib happen. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking when you hear those about those events?
2: I actually show those in my classes cuz I teach college. Um and I like people to talk about that kind of stuff. It's such a discredit to the United States military that something like that would even happen. Anyone affiliated with that should definitely be punished accordingly. That whole scenario just left me speechless if if we're being honest. So now on the within the military they have a correctional side. So they have the military police side, but then they also have the correctional side, which is a different uh, MOS. So um, we, when I went through basic training in AIT, we actually had some corrections folks going through it with us. Um, but when we got to the schoolhouse training, we all parted ways where correction officers went one direction and we military police went another direction. So you did get to know some of them. I don't even know. Leadership, I think, is a huge thing too because where are they getting that from and what are these leaders, you know, what are they doing about it when they find out? So
1: so why did you transition out and uh, become a police officer?
2: Okay, so um I like to think that my life is has chapters, what I call chapters, and it was one of those times where I was like I needed a new chapter because I had gotten married and ended up getting divorced before I left. And I come from... An environment where that's not accepted. Growing up, pretty much everyone stays married and has children and lives a great life. And, you know, they may not be happy years later, but they're still together. (laughs) Uh, So I needed a new chapter, I needed to write my new story is what I needed, because I'd been through a lot. And I just hadn't really found my own identity yet. I decided I loved the policing thing. It was cool. And I was like, I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna be a police officer. And so I got a job, Cobb County, Georgia, and I loved every second of it. It was awesome, it was a good job.
1: I think this is a great time to take a break and hear from the businesses that are making this podcast possible. If you support us and what we are doing, please support them.
0: Hi, I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee. Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches. Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but seek to understand different views. That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts.
1: So tell us about Cobb County, Georgia. What I mean, what, what made that such a special place for you?
2: I would say the family I created. I found myself. I found who I was. I found what I was good at. I just made a lot of friends, and I feel like I had some positive impact as a police officer. Even though you hear the negativity, you hear a lot of negative, but once in a while, you'll have that positive factor that comes into play. And, and so I, I just love the job, and I love the people I worked with. It, it was interesting because I don't remember a time that we weren't really not respected as officers. And it's an agency that has over 600 officers. So, that, so within the county, there's 600 officers, 600 sheriff deputies. Then there's another like seven or eight police departments. So the county is made up of about a million people. So it's a huge county. And I worked in an underprivileged area, which was awesome. I made a lot of good friends just with the citizens and just by getting out of my car. And it didn't matter what their circumstances were. They were people. So I just loved the job. Yeah, I think being a military police officer was different than being an actual police officer as a civilian. One, you're only on duty for a few hours, right? So it's great. (laughs) You don't work 24 hours a day. Um, But uh, when you're in the military, you're, you're responding to all military folks. You know, people associated with military folks. How they handle... An incident is you would take the soldier down to the police station and then the first sergeant would come or the supervisor would come. And that's very different than I'm a civilian, I'm a police officer, I make an arrest, I take you to the jail and I drop you off. And, you know, maybe I'll see you in court, maybe I won't. But that's sometimes the last contact you have with them. So the accountability is is very different.
1: So what uh, skills do you think the military provided you or helped you with in order to be an effective officer in the civilian world
2: communication definitely <laughs> knowing when to shut my mouth <laughs> knowing when I can say things because I am definitely the person that um, will say whatever it is I'm thinking which gets me in trouble um, but it taught me fortitude uh, determination taught me not to quit um, and it really taught me to believe in myself so it taught me a lot of self-worth and strength
1: why military police
2: that's actually a really good question, and I'm not quite sure, but when I was in high school, I did that personality profile, and you know, um, I fit everything that had to do with like probation, parole, law enforcement. Um, just That's my personality, I think. So I don't know. I just ended up choosing yeah. it. I was in criminal justice for uh, when I started college, so that was my goal, although I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do because I was still lost, but it worked out great.
1: So you're a university professor? I am. Okay. And I don't know all the different types of adjunct professor versus whatever, so you're a professor.
2: I am a professor. I'm a full-time professor. Uh, congratulations. And thank you. And I'm also an adjunct professor, which is a part-time professor. Okay. So I actually teach at two universities.
1: Okay. So why go from law enforcement to teaching?
2: Okay. So here again, this is where my faith comes in, um, in that listening to God and um seeing what direction he has me going. So my last job at the police department was that I was the recruiter for the police department. So I would visit universities, colleges, military institutions um, to recruit people. And so I had a professor from a local university ask me to come and speak. And I did. And I thought, wow, that was really cool. And I walked out and I had my aha moment. Like, okay, I think this is a calling. This is like I recognize it. This is awesome. Now, what am I going to do about it? Right. So, at that point, um, I made a phone call to um, to somebody, and I was like, "I think I figured it out. I think this would be fun." So, um, at one of the local colleges, um, so we have so it was a two year college, and then we have the four year universities. Um, At the local college, the full time uh, professor asked me to teach part time. He thought, "Oh, you'd be great at this." And I was like, "All right. Well, I've never done it, but I'll take a leap of faith. Sure." So I started teaching, and it was so fun. I was teaching other officers. Um, I was teaching people that worked in corrections. Um, I was teaching people that just wanted to, you know, they just came out of high school. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. So I thought, you know, I I could probably do this full time. This would be fun, although I still loved my policing job. Um, Had nothing, no, no issues with what I was doing. And so I get a phone call. Uh, probably like two years after that. And the full time professor was like, hey, I'm retiring, you should apply for this full time job. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll do it. You know, whatever. We'll see what happens. So I applied. And then they called me for an interview. And then I was like, Oh, I bombed that because, you know, you go in the military, you don't do an interview, right? I don't know how to do an interview. Like, you just learn, right? And you just go in and be yourself. I don't know. So I went in, did the presentation, and then they called me back, and I had only told one person that I have done this, right? And she worked with me, and she's my best friend. And so they called me and said, we'd like to offer you the job. And I hung up the phone, and I went in her office, and I was like, holy crap, what do I do? Like She goes, well, you take the job. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. I should do that. So that's how I got my my foot in the door at college, and then to teach on the East Coast, Um, If you want to teach in a university, in a four-year university, you either have to have a Juris Doctorate degree or you have to have a Ph.D. So I ended up going back to school for my Ph.D. And, yeah, so (laughs) I graduated with my Ph.D., which nobody saw coming, even myself. And um, I'm single, so I was like, all right, well, let's see what the Lord's going to do with me now. I know I keep preaching, but that's the truth. And I said... I'm gonna play all over the United States and see where my feet land, and that's exactly what I did. And now I'm in Utah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so from Pennsylvania to Georgia to Utah.
2: Yes, sir. Wow. I know. I know. I'm covering like the East Coast, the North, the South, everything. But I'm staying put. All three experiences have servant leadership in common, um, where I feel like I'm giving back to others. And I think if I didn't do that, I would be completely lost because that's, I have a servant leader heart, period.
1: Why do you think that's so important to, to, to give back?
2: Well, because I had people help me along the way and I never forgot that. But I think that's also our purpose in life. If I can do that, then, you know, I'm earning my ticket slowly.
1: <laughs> so now you're teaching criminal justice? Yes. Okay. So how do you teach servant leadership to your students?
2: So we actually, some of my classes are actually service learning courses, which means that they have to either do a project within my class and with me, or they have to do it on their own. Like my summer class was online, so they had to go do 20 hours of community outreach with an agency that focuses on youth. Um, And then they have to to do a whole write-up over it. And it's pretty awesome because um, all of them write back about how at first they weren't really excited about it because there's 20 extra hours that they have to do. And then they complain about it. But then once they do it, they're like, that was awesome. So, um, and then when I have it, when I do them in class to the point where like we do it together, it's so much fun. They get to know you, you get to know them. And then, you know, these kids, they'll come to you for advice and for help if they respect you. And, and I feel like I have that with my kids. Yeah, so I have students that come to my office because they're not quite sure where they want to be in life. And sometimes they'll say, I'm thinking about the military. And my response is, do it. And I say it, and I don't think twice about it because I think it builds your character. Um, It molds you to be a good person. I mean, obviously, there's a few bad apples, but that's in every job, right? Um, But I always recommend it just because I I see what it did to me. Um, And then getting out, you have so many extra job opportunities, you know, available to you because you're a veteran. You know, there's so many, there's so many perks. Um, And so, I mean, I always encourage my students to, to do it. And I've had a few that have graduated at my school and then they go in the military and they'll stay in touch with me and let me know how it's going. And they love it. It's awesome. So being a female in the military, I didn't really feel really any different. Um, when I was a police officer, each time I went to tr- was transferred to a different unit, I had to prove myself again. But most of them already knew about me, and I had a very high respect from all the leaders. Um, Anyone that's ever worked with me because I was all business. I wasn't play. I was business. I was there to do a job. I did it well. Um, I didn't get in trouble. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I feel like I was pretty, I was pretty good at my job. If there was going to be a fight, I jumped in. I didn't like run away. Mm -hmm. Um, So most guys were excited to work with me because they were like, if crap hits the fan, that's who we want with us. So that was cool. So I had a a good respect there. Um, In teaching, teaching in Georgia is very different than teaching in Utah. Teaching in Georgia, I had a lot of respect for my knowledge, uh, new creation of things, how we were going to do things. Um, coming out to Utah, um, I knew nothing about the culture out here. And one thing that happened is because I am such a strong woman is, you know, there was a lot of, uh, how do I say, maybe headbutting. Um, because they asked me to come they asked me to bring out all my ideas and implement them but once I started implementing them there was a great resistance um, that they don't want change and I didn't realize that um, I, I didn't realize that women weren't appreciated as much here and that's just me being honest and you know I think, you know, you can look at statistics on how many women leaders we have in Utah and stuff like that. And I'm always getting asked to do – like I work with our Women's Success Center, and they're like, can you come speak? And I got asked with the Veterans Center to come and speak because I'm a woman. <laughs> you know, there are people that do look to me as a woman who is successful, but the most important people that look to me for that are my students. And I usually will have young ladies come to my office And they want to talk about the stress that they have in their life, um, maybe how they disagree with things, but just looking for that, for that, um, the okay, that what they're doing in life is okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not judging them and also empowering them by when they leave, letting them know that they can be, you know, as awesome as they want to be, because I share my story with them. And I tell them, if I can make it, anybody can make it because I had a 1.7 GPA, Okay, and again, no one thought I was going to graduate college, even me. And then I did it three times, but my master's and Ph.D., I had a 4.0 each time. And so I share that with my students because I want them to know that if they need a role model, I'll be it. But I'll also be their biggest fan. So, and I'll cheer them on along the way. And I'll tell them, it's not going to be easy. You're going to fall on your face. Just pick yourself back up. That's all you got to do. I've done it a million times.
1: So a student comes to you looking for advice. What's the number one thing that you give them?
2: Be them. Be yourself. Find yourself. Do what makes you happy. Put yourself first. Don't forget about you. And I think that's, you know, sometimes a lot of my students get so focused on that they have to get married and they have to have children. And I'm like, you can slow down. Like, it's no hurry. You know, no one's in a hurry. Figure out what you want to do in life first. Establish that and then go from there. This is going to sound horrible, but I'm really glad that my life turned out the way it did. I know I can look back and say, you know, of course, I'm gonna say I wish my mom was here. But I also know that God had a plan for me. And I listened. And I didn't feel like I listened at first, because I didn't. But once I made that decision to turn it over to him, I feel like my life has been so blessed. And if I hadn't gone through everything that I went through, and if I had not joined the military, I don't think that I would be successful. Um, I think that um, I would be working in a factory, or I would have a job. Not that that's a bad job, but that's just not where I see myself. Because where I grew up is a lot of farmland. And so the jobs aren't as prevalent as they are in major cities. I mean, the community I grew up in probably had maybe two, 300 people, maybe. And to this day, they probably have the same. I don't think I would have been so driven. I don't think I would have been as successful. But I think there are some folks in my life that had told me back then that I would never amount to anything. And I really took those words. And I really went for it is what I did. You know, I was like, Okay, I'm gonna let that negative nature, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove you wrong. And I feel like I did. And that wasn't obviously my entire driving force. But that was part of my driving force. Because I was like, I am going to be something. Um, And I am proud of who I am, and I think I am a great woman, I'm a great person, I'm a great friend, Um, I'm a great teacher, Um, but I'm only great because I feel like I've been equipped with the knowledge, skills, and ability to do that.
1: So, uh, one last question. What does the oath of enlistment mean to you?
2: Well, honesty, integrity, values, morals, beliefs, all that stuff, I don't feel like I've ever changed that. I hike with an American flag Uh, I love comments people give me with my American flag Um, I'm very patriotic I support those who get out of the military those who are currently in the military you know I'm part of red white and blue I don't know I just have a lot of pride I have a lot of pride in policing and in having been in the military.
1: If you or any veteran you know is feeling self-destructive or suicidal please don't hesitate to use the Veterans Crisis Line by either calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1 or by texting 838-255 or by visiting www.veteranscrisisline.net. This 24-7 confidential service is for all veterans, all service members, the National Guard and Reserve, their family members, and their friends. Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us by email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at loudmouthjason. Check out our website at loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on the Google Podcast, iTunes, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback and it helps grow our audience. We would like to thank our producer and editor, Josh Tilton, and our creative director, Amy Donaldson, for adding the spit and polish to our show. I'm Jason Comstock, and until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged. We Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project.